Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was waiting for you guys to notice. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Sorry, guys. It's a it's an Easter conversation. It's a holiday conversation. So, oh, and we're all in quarantine. So, I brought the baby out for a few minutes. Even though I know babies always steal the show. But. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's beautiful. And John, I literally picked him up off his mat when he had this in his he mouth. He had this gift from his kumbaya. I didn't see? even plan that. This is the lion that uh, John, his kumbaya, got him when he was in Italy. He li- he likes yeah. sticking the tail in. <laughs> it's like soaking wet. But yes. Oh, is he so being cute. a good boy? Yes, he's being a good boy. I think I'm confusing him right now because I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> he's like, Ma, leave me alone. Poverino. Give me back uh, the lion. Uh, all right, go, go put the poor baby away. See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino, then they make you roly-poly, you get stuffed with ravioli. Your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born in Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back everybody and happy Pasquetta It's Easter Monday and thank you for spending it with us here at the Italian American Podcast I'm your moderator John Viola and I'm very happy to report we have a little Easter miracle for you here today, because I am joined by the entire podcast familia. I have Anthony, Dolores, Rosella, Pat. We're all together celebrating this holiday remotely, one of my favorite days of the year, and so glad to have everybody here with us to share Pasquetta. Guys, happy Pasquetta. It's good to be together. Yeah, it's great. It's That's awesome. Right. It's Hi, everyone. Here. Rosella, what are you what eating? That? I'm eating, um, what is this? meeting Copa. Nice. Ooh. She keeps it real. No, it wouldn't be the Italian American podcast if we weren't eating. I'm hungry. <laughs> it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm hungry. Well, no surprise that you're eating because it is Holy Week and everybody's home. And so that probably means in an Italian American family, we're in the middle of some kind of food prep. This will come out on Pasquetta, but it's uh, appropriate because we wanted to take the opportunity today to just kind of exchange our favorite Easter traditions and the things that we do as a family and some of the histories and backgrounds of some of the stuff that's really important to our Italian-American culture. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, that means uh, a ton of baking coming up around the corner. Uh, How about you guys? Anybody else out there in the middle of baking mode right now? How am I going to make something? I can't even go out of my house. I've been making things all week. Uh, it's, It's all I do. 
Rosella, I understand Rosella, you, you know, you're probably taking photos and you have, you know, you're probably posting about everything you bake, but who's going to eat everything you guys. That's a great question. Like usually yeah. you make, you make the pastira and the pies and you know, people come over and you bring them to people. I mean, I mean, depending on how comfortable you are, this some year. people are dropping stuff off to other people. If you know, if you're leaving the house at all, some people can come pick it up if you really want them to. I mean, you guys know for me, every year I'm the supplier of pies and pastiere and everything for my entire family, all my friends. So I usually make dozens and dozens of these things. And actually last year, my dyscalculia got the best of me and I accidentally made enough pastiere filling for what ended up to be 34 pastiere. Thank God I talked to Rose. She said, ah, put it in cupcake tins. It actually came out pretty good. People loved it. But this year is obviously going to be a little different. We're going to be making a lot less stuff. And, you know, we've got a couple of frozen pie tins that I found in the freezer. So we've got a shortage of flour, and that's going to kind of help me. And I'm going to record all this stuff, actually, I think, because I'm home and try to put it out on our YouTube channel. So it should be out by the time this episode airs. But, yeah, it's going to be really different. A lot less cooking than normal, I guess. So, you know, Easter is, like, without a doubt, my favorite holiday. And um, it really is. And, and I've been the impetus to a lot of local celebrations because it means so much to me. Like, you know, we decorate the uh, olive branches here the way that they do in Campania, you know, so part of my own personal heritage. You know, John and I have been throwing a Pasquetta party. Uh, and a lot of stuff was on the upswing for this year because we had planned two Pasquetta parties, one in New York, one in New Jersey. You know, we were very excited about what was coming down the pike, but, you know, we got hit with what we got hit with. But we made a decision. It's only an Italian can have like a coronavirus decision on what we're going to bake for Easter. Ain't that the truth? We have emergency beets again in Bastida from last year. <laughs> we always keep on hand for emergencies. We're going to defrost them. Perfect. And we just figured that, like, I'm picky about my ingredients. For those of you who know me, like, I'll drive 50 miles for the right sausage. And supermarket deliveries are kind of sporadic, what you can and can't get. So I said to my mother, I said, I'd rather wait till this is over to the extent that we can shop the way we want to shop, even if it means the summer, and buy the right ingredients and then make everything nice. Then, you know, trying to do a fatta poster, you know, doing the best that we can under a situation. You and John yeah, are like you... on opposite sides. Yeah, that's true. I, well, I've got like... I do have some frozen pastilla that my mother and I found. We each found one. Uh, so now I'm here with them. We, my wife and I passed our quarantine and we relocated to be with my parents. So we have one that I brought, one that she had. But my mother, to her credit, I love her because she's hoarding all year. Every time she sees pastilla ingredients or stuff we're going to need, she's always hoarding it. So we have grain and orange blossom water and all that stuff because we usually make for so many people. So we have enough ingredients we're missing a couple of things like the, the Neapolitan vanilla powder. And for the meat pies, we're just going to do my grandmother's old recipe because her version only had sausage. Mine had a lot more stuff. But we're trying to be flexible, doing the best we can. But it's interesting because, you know, one of the things I want to establish first is pie certainly comes to mind for everybody when you talk about Italian-American Easter traditions, right? Grain pie, meat pie. But people are very confused about what those are actually supposed to be called. They're called a bunch of different things, a bunch of different dialects, and different families have different traditions. So my family growing up, we called pizza grana the grain pie and pizza rustica the meat pie. Sometimes people say pizza chiena, sometimes pastiera, sometimes pizza gain. I feel like it's really different for every family. But what do you guys call them, and what are you making on a normal year? Well, the thing is, both of those things, uh, pizza rustica and pastiera, are Neapolitan things. They're from the region of Campania, and outside of Campania, 
you know, maybe you have somewhat of a variation, but they've kind of done it like on Pugliese. Those things did not exist until, yeah. you know, my family immigrated to America and made Neapolitan friends and they gave them something. They're like, hey, this is good. We should make it too. And it's ironic that my pizza rustica recipe on the website is one of like the most searched recipes on cuisinewithdona.com. It's a great recipe. It's really foolproof. I feel like everyone who makes it, even for the first time, they always come out good. They're always like sending photos of them. But it's interesting that like the Baris people make good pizza rustica because it's like not really our thing. So then what is your thing? Our thing is we're more about Good Friday. Our people are more about the Good Friday. So on Good Friday, we make a pie filled with scallions and uh, olives and tomatoes, and we call it scalcione. And we're supposed to eat that on Good Friday. You're supposed to fast all day on Good Friday, go to the procession, the Good Friday procession, and then you're supposed to come home and eat scalcione. I've actually eaten your scalchona. <laughs> and you actually went to a procession. It's coming it's out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, on Good Friday during a procession. That, that's a fact. Yes. That happened one year. Yeah, I kind of remember you doing that. I want to go one year. That sounds fantastic. John, going back to your, like, what do we call certain things? The whole pizza china, pizza gaina, pizza rustica, it's all a variation of the same concept. So... Pizza rustica is the name in Italian for the meat pie, you know, the the pie filled with meats and cheeses. Um, but some people like to call it a pizza gain or a pizza chiena. Pizza gain and pizza chiena are regional language terms for the same thing. So when you say pizza chiena or pizza gaina, the term chiena means stuffed or filled. Stuffed, yeah. So it's a filled pizza. The pizza being the pastry dough that encases the meat and cheese pie. So it's funny when people are like, we don't make pizza rustica, we make pizza gaina or we make pizza chiena or whatever. And they think that they're, they, they have this like different thing that they're doing when it's really, it's all the same thing. <laughs> and it's yeah. just a different way to refer to it. That's an interesting lesson in Neapolitan language too, right, for our listeners, because if you think in terms of the Tuscan Italian, piena full, chiena full in Neapolitan, it's like, Pianj and Kianj, right? When these a lot of words, the P in standard Italian becomes CH in Neapolitan. So there's a little lesson in that as well. My grandma always did this Holy Saturday, like a big Saturday lunch. And I think part of it was just because, you know, everybody had, you know, once everyone got married, some people were going here one day, some That's people were incorrect. here That's together. That's incorrect. Oh, you're wrong, right. Anthony, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, no, no. And I have to correct this. If I dropped it today, and I corrected this for history. My life would have had meaning. Tell me, the, tell oh me the me, tell, tell me the meaning behind it. That would be helpful, actually. Or, tell Anthony why he's wrong. Go ahead. No, no, no. He's not. Little less drama. Mean, I was gonna. I was gonna say hey, what I want. Was, I was gonna say like I wonder if there's a historical meaning. Go call somebody else. You want? You want me? Or you want somebody else? Go call. Go find somebody else. Go call one eight hundred. Ask him a question. See if someone from the Norwegian podcast. Do this. Do that. Answer this. Tell I'm here and I said I'm in jail for three weeks. I can't leave the house. My brother, I can't handle this. All right. What happened was before 1955 in Western Christianity, in Roman Catholicism, the fast of Lent ended at 12 noon on Holy Saturday. At 12 noon on Holy Saturday. The church bells would ring and people would break the fast. Because what would happen is the Easter vigil did not take place on Saturday night. That is, it had probably in the very earliest days of Christianity. 
Rather, it was moved to Saturday morning. When the Gloria was intoned at the Easter Vigil, about 12 o'clock on Holy Saturday, the church bells would ring and the fast would end. And because people had spent an entire Lent with no dairy, no eggs, no meat, they would break the fast with the beets again, which was like fast food. So you'd have the beets again on the table, which would have been blessed previously. They would eat the hard-boiled eggs. They would eat the dried salami, which had all been made before Lent, and they would eat the beets again. So your grandmother, doing that on Holy Saturday, preserved the really ancient tradition that changed in the 50s. The idea of the pizza game being on Easter Sunday is only from the mid-50s. So you, Anthony, have a gold star because your family continued the real ancient tradition. So it's a compliment. Okay, I'm going to call her tonight and just – I'm sure that's it. She'll maybe yeah, tell now, me when she was a kid. probably young enough. Like what happened was after World War II and everything was kind of like quote-unquote modernized, Pius XII, who was the reigning pope at that time, was pressured in the early 50s to move the Easter vigil from Saturday morning to Saturday night. So it started 1951-1952. It was universalized in 1955. And now, how could you break a fast before the Easter vigil? So some people stopped eating the beets again on Saturday afternoon and saved it for Sunday. And the diehard old-time people still ate it on Saturday afternoon. So I want to compliment you, Anthony, for keeping the tradition and hope that you will pass it on to your children on eating it on Saturday. So when I'm in Nogampusand, I'm in the cemetery. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, hey, that's what I was going to kind of say was I wonder if there's a historical the meaning. Reason I go ballistic, the reason I go, after, I go crazy is because people don't know it. And they're like, oh, Grandma, why are we doing it on Saturday? So I'm going, oh, because Uncle Jimmy had to work on Sunday, drive the bus. That's not the reason. <laughs> because they don't know the historical reason. The true tradition is to eat the beats again for lunch on Holy Saturday. And that's why you get the heavy eggs and heavy dairy meal type of meal. On right. Them. It was yeah. the first meal to break the feet. And it was all the foods that had been forbidden during Lent. And you didn't want to cook. Well, you cooked it all beforehand. So as soon as that bell rang, you could eat. Well, the Neapolitan tradition of Easter food is all full of rich, decadent foods, you know, and this was actually, I actually, I think the traditional Easter foods are a lot richer than even the Christmas foods. You know, when you think about the Christmas food, it's a lot of seafood, it's bacala, which was inexpensive at the time. And when you look at the Easter food, you have a lot of proteins that would have been expensive for the time, a lot of cheeses that would have been expensive for the time, you know, eggs to make a pizza gaina or pizza rustica you need a lot of eggs so you're probably working on saving those like kind of hoarding them to make all of these rich foods for one holiday you didn't have to hoard them and i'll tell you why i know you probably had chickens yourself and stuff you had 40 but, days you know, worth of them i guess you, you it's a lot of resources of for one recipe it, it's it is and it's not but if, let me give you the full background role so you could put it into perspective as coming in on the historian but i'm just saying Pugliese, you don't do that we just like you know make some flour and oil and, and wine make a dough and then put some onions in it like we, we have the saddest <laughs> Holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are making like crowns with eggs. But that's be, but that's because it's on Good Friday, right? right? That's because it's on Good Friday. Good Friday. That's a sad day. It's very special yeah. to Mola because your patron is Our Lady of Sorrow. So Good Friday has a very strong history in Mola. But let me tell you one one, one thing about the fasting that I want to get in. Before the 1750s, fasting was super strict. Now the word that we have today, noon comes from the Latin word known, which means ninth. 
And it was the ninth hour of the divine office of the breviary. So priests and monks would chant the office, which is the prayer to seven or eight times a day they have to pray. And you were allowed one meal a day. You could eat your one meal after the hour of noon, which would fall about three o'clock in the afternoon because the Romans began counting the hours of the day from 6 a.m., which would have been prime. People were so famished because you had to wait so late to eat. The monks anticipated the hour and would say it at 12 o'clock. So at the sixth hour, they would say the ninth hour prayers at what today would be 12 o'clock. And that's why we call 12 noon, 12 noon. It comes from Lent and fasting days. So you were allowed one meal a day after the hour of noon. And you were allowed what was called a collation at night, which was like a piece of fruit. It was actually weighed out what it could be. And if you talk to the people in Italy, especially before 1900, if you read what they had to say, fasting was so rigorous. And you couldn't eat anything in the morning. You could have uh, liquid. You could have no solid food. You were so famished by 12. You would eat at 12. You'd have maybe be allowed an apple at night or a piece of bread. That by the time Lent ended, you were famished. And some of the prayers of the blessing of the Easter foods was about to bring back your strength and energy. Because people had become physically worn down by the fasting. But there's also another sense of this. The fasting, in some sense, was spiritual. But it was also necessary. Because remember... Not so much south of Italy, yes, but even in the northern countries, you had to grow all your food in the summer. And you killed your pig in December and you made your sausage products, but you couldn't eat meat during the fasting period. So you kind of had to live on things like cabbages. So your stockpile of preserved food was at its lowest peak during Lent. And then it would start up again in May when, you know, lettuces and peas start to come around. So part of the reason the pie was so heavy was, A, you have been deprived of food. But B, you were really run down. So part of the blessing of the Easter foods was that you would get your strength back from the rigors of Lenten fasting. Well, I mean, that's like the whole idea behind pastieta, right? The symbolism being the eggs and the wheat represent new life, and it's rich, and you've been fasting. And most historians believe the kind of modern pastieta comes out of a convent in Naples, uh, the orange blossom water. Everything's about blossoming and rebirth and new life and in Easter season, I know for a lot of people, as Rob points out, that is really a Neapolitan tradition that has become a pan-Italian-American tradition. I know for my Sicilian side, we always get the marzipan lambs. That's like a big thing in our family. And then, of course, this year we won't have them because you got to go to the few Sicilian bakeries left that make them. But have any of you guys ever had the marzipan lambs on your table? Villa Bata in Brooklyn is famous for their marzipan. I mean, I really miss the magic of Easter this year, like walking around to all the different stores, all the different delis, seeing the chocolate eggs wrapped up. You know, all the bakery windows have marzipan lambs and just all these beautiful Easter confections. You know, everything is so ornate and happy and springy. And, you know, I'm missing it this year. And I'm trying my best to create it in my own home. Like I've been making Easter breads all week and I, I have no idea who's going to eat them. Really, I have no idea because this is like I'm, I'm surpassing a quantity that's even the, healthy for me to feed my husband. <laughs> I might kill him by the end of this. But like he might have, he might have, God forbid, he might, you know, have some kind of gout. Gosh. <laughs> but I need to do it. I need to, to feel the Easter vibes. I don't blame you. Pasqua vibes, not even the Easter vibes, because Italian style Easter is different. 
So, so Sicily takes the almonds that come into Sicily with the Arabs and they turn into almond paste, which they use to make their lamps. Because Sicily is an island. Sicily is a culture about aesthetic. So they make these beautiful molded marzipan lamps, 100% Sicilian. But another aspect is that traditionally in the Roman ritual, which is the book that priests use to bless things, there is a blessing for Easter lamb. So in a lot of parts of Northern Europe, you know, like Poland, except for the Zakopane region, you don't really have a lot of lambs. You would bless a symbol of a lamb, like a chocolate lamb or a marzipan lamb, because it's the symbol of the lamb. So if you don't have a real lamb, you bless a symbol of a lamb, and it becomes the blessed food of Easter to celebrate the idea of Christ as the Paschal sacrifice, which ties in with Passover. Because remember, a lot, a lot of parts of Italy were not lamb areas. They were goat areas. So you didn't have a baby lamb at Easter, you had a baby goat. Do you guys all make lamb on Easter? My family makes lamb on Easter. I, I do, it. yeah. It's my favorite meat in the world. I love, love lamb. My nonna likes to tell the story of, um, you know, back in Body when there were communal ovens. You know, there were a few ovens for the whole town and you would go and there would be a line and, you know, you would drop stuff off to be baked and you would pick it up when it was done. And there was one oven where the fornaio was like known for kind of being a little bit of a thief. And she said <laughs> that one year they dropped off like a whole lamb to be cooked. And when they took it back, he was missing a leg. <laughs> and they were like, uh, there's a problem here. And they're like, no, no, l'agnello razzoppo. <laughs> so it was a, a shungad lamb. It's a little easier to steal bread dough than it is to steal part of a lamb. Yeah. yeah well, what but, about with a chocolate lamb that's missing a leg? A shungad, the chocolate lamb? Shungad, the lamb. Happy Easter with my shungad, the lamb. Yeah, it'll be the so, new craze. They go to shungad. Because you'd be the only person that would buy it. Yeah, probably true. Those marzipan lambs were a big thing for me growing up. And I'm with you, Ro on walking around and seeing everything in the store windows and the big giant Italian Easter eggs that, you know, beautiful foil wrapping or going into the Italian bakeries. And I remember like getting Italian Easter gifts, you know, soccer team colors wrapped on the egg and this, and it was always very much a part of our ethnic identity and that like our Easter had a lot of Italian fingerprints on it. Oh, my uh, Nikki this year had all these awesome Easter eggs with like Mets and Yankees themes on them imported from Italy. Wow. And it's just such a sad year. I mean, the toilet paper is selling out, but the Easter eggs, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> my grandma used to say as a kid, her uncle, she had an uncle that lived with her that never got married. And he would go every Easter and buy his nieces and nephews that he lived with. He'd buy a huge chocolate Easter egg. And I guess, you know, the little foil eggs that we get today in the bag? The, yeah. My grandma said that the old-fashioned big Italian Easter eggs were stuffed with little Easter eggs inside, little foil eggs for the kids. So they would, break the big, they would break the big egg, and then, because you had so many kids back then, all the kids would take little foil eggs, and that was their Easter treat. And my grandmother said they used to look so forward to that egg at Easter. And, you know, I think it's like we take so much for granted. Like, you know, today we have such an overabundance, right? I mean, for my grandmother's generation, a piece of chocolate was a real treat. It was so expensive. And today we could eat our weight in chocolate in the store. You know, things have gotten so much cheaper. Um, oh, well, Pat, that, like... That brings me to Easter bread. The entire Easter bread conversation in my family was centered around, you know, you should appreciate these things because like Nonna used to always make me Easter bread. So if we're going to talk about Easter bread, it's important to highlight there are two different kinds of Easter bread. 
and one of them isn't even bread at all. Uh, one is the soft Easter bread that's leavened with yeast. It's kind of similar to like a challah or a brioche. It's grated. There's usually eggs in between. Some have sprinkles, some have glaze, what have you. The other kind is the one that's popular in Puglia and Calabria, and not really through Naples. I think in Naples, they're pretty partial to the softer Easter bread. But we call that a scarcella or a gurugula or a pupacolova or a kudzupa or, you know, depending on where you're from. So there's a hard Easter bread and there's a soft Easter bread. The hard one is more of a cookie texture. The soft one is more of an actual bread. And these were, you know, before the chocolate Easter eggs became popular, this is what you would make for children at Easter. I remember my nonna has given me one for the past 30 years, you know? And I wasn't always so freaking gracious when she would give it to me because I'd be like, you know, I really want, I saw the bocce Easter eggs. (laughs) And she's like, oh, you thought we always had chocolate? You know, in reality, my nonna is one of seven. And, uh, you know, buying seven chocolate Easter eggs was just not something that was possible at that time. But it was always a really sweet thing for her to give me this braided cookie with the egg in it. Uh, I mean, I was a brat when I was little. What can I say? I'd be like, I don't want this freaking cookie with an egg. It's weird. It's funny you bring that up because in our family, having part of my family Sicilian, part of my family Neapolitan. So my dad's side, which is from Campania, always made the soft brioche bread with the eggs. My grandmother made it. And now I try to make it. I'm not as good as my grandmother was, but or somebody will bring it from a bakery. But my mom's side always had the sort of cookie bread. We, we call them Easter cookies. And, you know, one egg in the middle, very much like you say, row a cookie texture. And they were off our table for a while. And my grandfather and grandmother, they moved up to the country, and they'd always memorialize how important it was to have these, how much it meant to them as a kid, because that was their Easter treat. And so my dad and I started making the pilgrimage back to my grandfather's Sicilian neighborhood in Brooklyn, which used to be up Knickerbocker Avenue, all Sicilian. There's one or two pastry shops left. One's called Circos, and they still make them absolutely traditional. And so up until this year, we would go make a pilgrimage every year during Holy Week and get a box for him. And uh, it was always nice to be able to have both regional differences represented in our Easter bread. But the Easter bread's such a huge tradition. And for me, like I love the pies they are obviously the all-star on this feast, but something about the bread and the eggs in there. And I don't know, for me, it was always sort of that humble uh, stalwart of the Easter season. Well, in Puglia, the scarcella pugliese, it usually, um, for, first of all, scarcella or a gurugula or an Easter bread, you know, if, if we just want to have a blanket term for them, they can be made into lots of different shapes. And all of them pretty much symbolize, you know, sometimes they're made into a doll and the egg goes on the stomach of the figure of the woman and that symbolizes the new life. It's made into a dove shape. And again, the egg with the cross is on the middle of the dove and there's a cross on top of it. So it symbolizes new life. It's all about these things that symbolize new life and a rebirth because Christ was reborn. He rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. So, you know, it's such a happy holiday and it's not the same, but you know, you can do these things in your own home. I mean, I, I'm kind of a big advocate for, you know, so what if nobody's coming, if it makes you feel better to make these things yourself, you know, instead of not having them at all, I understand you can't go buy them as easily this year, but I think it really helps bring the essence of Easter into your home. I couldn't agree more. You know, that's what we have freezers for. Like Pat said, put them in the freezer, have emergency rations for the rest of the year, because 
it's good to just keep doing these things. I mean, it's going to be six of us and my, my little baby niece at the table this year, but we're going to make as much as we can. And just the smells and the processes, you know, they're important. They're, they're ritual. It's a bigger Easter than most people are having. Six people and your niece? Yeah, we sort of Pretty rolled impressive. the dice and we said, okay, everybody passed their quarantine. Let's make sure we're together. And so... Thank God we're lucky enough to be together now. I, who knows when we'll leave? I haven't lived with my parents since I was 17, so we'll see how long that lasts. But, yeah, we're here, and it is. It's nice that we can have that. And you know what throws everything off? The church aspect. It's like there's something missing. Yeah. You know, because in the south of Italy, blessing the house for Easter was such a big deal, blessing the Easter food, blessing the house for Easter. And a priest friend of ours always comes over on Easter Monday to bless the house, and we kind of have lunch and stuff like that. And... I don't know. He called me. He went to school with my brothers in his 30s. And he called me and he's like, well, you know, I can't come this year. I said, oh, you know, obviously, because of the restrictions. And it's just like, I don't know. You know, the food was kind of coupled with the ceremonies. Yeah. Kind of gave a balance to like the domestic church and kind of like the church church. And um, even if you're going to make a bastille at home or you're going to take it out of the freezer, there's still that aspect that's kind of gone. For the people out there in podcast land, you know, we didn't want to make this a negative message. And it's not a negative message because our hope is that maybe being deprived of it for this year, God willing, everything goes well, that maybe next year people have a little bit more of appreciation and recommit themselves to these traditions, which really are so important. To them. And, you know, Ro, you bring up a great memory. I remember so well in the 80s, maybe the early 90s, the late 80s, when the Perugina Easter eggs were coming from Italy, when the import market really started to pick up. And they were like spectacular. You know, we take them for granted now, the, the eggs, the big Italian Easter eggs in the foil. But I remember when they came to North Arlington, I was like, wow. Well, it's like the Colomba bread, too. Like all of these items of the modern Italian Easter that started to creep into our version through the 80s and 90s as imports and exports changed and ease of import changed. And those mean a great deal to people, too. I mean, we always laugh about the Christmas panettone being passed around, but you know, the, the Colomba is its own sort of version of that, right? Yes, the Colomba is basically a panettone and it's shaped like a cross or a dove. It's meant to look like a dove, hence the name Colomba, but it pretty much looks like a cross. Yeah, that's true. It does. It never, never really looked like what it said it looked like. You have like a picture of like a bird with wings with something in its mouth and it's like, you know, come on. It's like, it's not going to look like that. <laughs> it's definitely more more of a cross. But the cross yeah. and the dove are one and the same in religious symbols. It's true. I think that like if you take the Italy of, of Nutella, right? The Italy of the 60s, when the country began to get products that were really national products, right? Nutella was probably the first national product in Italy that from the Alps of Sicily, everyone has an experience of Nutella. The same way like Padre Pio was the first saint of a modern United Italy. You know, you can find a statue of Padre Pio in a piazza all the way again from the Alps of Sicily. The Colombo, like the Panettone, was a regional product of Lombardia that became a national symbol. And, you know, if you take an Italian teenager today, the Colombo is part of the Easter experience for so many people across Italy. Where the casadilla, which or, or Ivice in the Sorrento, the the Easter bread that's made with the eggs, that's how you had breakfast on Easter Sunday, you know. And now it's become, you know, the Colombo. And I think in lots of parts of Italy, the Easter breads have died off because there's another thing that goes back to fasting. Under the old fast rules, you could not have breakfast, so the first meal of the day was the noontime meal. Easter Sunday broke the fast, and you it was your first big breakfast you had. That's why in Campania there was the big tradition 
of the suprasada and the dried sausage and the cheeses and the Easter bread, the gazadilla, which was the savory Easter bread, or the sweet gazadilla, which was the sweet bread with the eggs, decorated on top, the wreath bread, that was your first breakfast. That's why Easter Sunday morning was such a big deal because it, there was the resurrection and there also was, again, another break in the fasting. Pat, you make gazadilla with lard in it, right? Absolutely. It's the only way. Yeah, that's the only way. I'm sorry. Like, when people <laughs> say, can I use butter? No, you cannot. You're never going to get the same flavor. You're never going to get the same texture, more importantly. And, you know, it's all about texture. And, I mean, it, it's how can you expect to? I find that Italian-Americans, you know, especially when they've been here for a few generations, they really, you know, have certain things against using certain ingredients that I feel like, you know, the media has really conditioned you to not want to use for no re- and they don't really understand the science behind it at all. So when someone comes to me and says, I want to make a casatiella with butter or margarine or like country crock or something. Hang up, hang up, hang up on. These people, these people drive me up a wall because they laugh at me and I want to laugh at them. Oh, I, yes. They're like, can I fry this in vegetable oil or corn oil? And I was like, why do you want to use vegetable oil or corn oil? Well, it's healthier. And I was like, who said it's healthier? Do you have any idea how vegetable and corn oil is made? Do these things make oil by themselves? Do you have any (laughs) idea what they have to do to get oil out of that? Like, it's not natural. You know what is natural? Olive oil. You know what's fine to fry in, especially in small batches? Olive oil. You know what's not going to kill you? Olive oil. (laughs) That's so true. And I, I'm a big advocate of, you know, trying to make everything a little more healthy and recipes a little more healthy. But I think when it comes to holiday foods, especially, and, you know, very traditional dishes, just make it with the stuff you need to make it with. You know, it's, yeah, like, it's not the time to, to do that. And the reason I try to eat healthy, you know, the rest of the time is because when Christmas comes, when Easter comes, whatever, whatever holiday, even if it's just, uh, you know, like San Giuseppe. I don't feel guilty eating the food. You know, that's the time to eat it. But this is the problem. Pork fat was demonized in the 80s. Yes, fat. Agreed. From that, right? So they yes. push carbs. So people now have all kinds of sugar issues right. on processed carbs. Where, you know, I have a cousin who's diabetic and it runs in his family. He's in his 70s. And he said, you know, the doctor told him when you eat carbs, proteins and fat balance it out. So all these things where people were told in the 80s, don't eat fat you know, make it like these super carb diets. They're poisoning us. Why is the South Philly being ravaged by coronavirus? Because we have longevity at the wazoo. And if you go into the Chilento, yeah, part of the Mediterranean diet was they fried in lard. Because my grandmother said everything was like half lard, half oil when her mother would fry. And part of it was because oil was really expensive and pig fat right. was abundant. And those yeah. people all live to be 106. Go to the South of Italy today and those people 104, 105 and they grew up eating lard. Now, you need healthy lard. If you get right, I buy lard exactly. for a Polish butcher when I need it, and he renders the lard in the old-fashioned, traditional way, and it's a healthy fat. Well, a lot of this stuff speaks to, Pat, your point about even the idea of fasting in the calendar and what you could and couldn't get during the year, right? I mean, like Dolores' idea of focusing on a healthier life throughout the rest of the year and indulging on holidays is ancient because you couldn't do anything else, right? You had a minimalist diet for so long and the holiday was an indulgence. And as Rose says, you're hoarding or preparing what ingredients go into these things over 40 days. I mean, look at the pizza rustica, let's call it the meat pie in this case, right? 
in, in every family that's a different recipe, a different preparation, different meats, who puts sausage, who puts dried meats, who puts cured meats, who stacks them in layers, who mixes them in. But that amount and diversity of meat alone, there's no way that that could be had any time but once a year. So if you're going to indulge, this is the time to do it. And the stuff does, you know, it, 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 it makes a difference in the product when you're using the right ingredients like lard and lard bread. I mean, you, you just can't make it any other way. If you guys make pies with meat in them, what do you put in them? In my family, we do my, uh, my family's pizza rustica, which is, you know, something we kind of borrowed from Neapolitan family friends recipes. But of course we got to throw like the Pugliese spin on everything. So we definitely have mortadella in it. We have chopped up soppressata, sometimes prosciutto, we have basket cheese, which I think is really important to use basket cheese in lieu of ricotta. I mean, you can use ricotta, but you have to be careful what kind of ricotta you use. You got to use ricotta impastata if you can, which is a ricotta that's already been drained with a much lower moisture content. Um, if you do want to use conventional ricotta, there's a process. You got to drain it. The whole thing about making a good pizza rustica, from what I've learned, and Patrick, I would never in a million billion years dare say that I am as good as you at making pizza rustica. I defer to you in every single pizza rustica slash casatiello situation. I would never. But um, I think I've gotten pretty good at it. And the the enemy here is moisture. Am I right? It depends because, you know, it brings, if I can return the compliment, you are the mother of explaining to the world that it's Italian-American food and it's Italian food. If you take the Cilento and Salerno, which is really the heart of pizza game and pizza rustica land, yeah, they use the basket cheese. That's 100% because they're not regoth people. They were people that would have goats and they would use the fresh goat cheese, the caccia di goat cheese, and they would chop that up, mix it up with grated goat cheese, the salamis, the egg. Some people would put a hard-boiled egg in and they would bake it. I think that the rigot aspect came into the scene because you couldn't get the basket cheese. So there's parts of America you couldn't get the basket cheese or, you know, uh, it was easier to use the rigot. And I think the rigot-based pizza game is its own animal in a very positive sense. It's a delicious product. And, you know, for instance, like when my grandma's family is from Piano di Sorrento, they make the equivalent of a pizza rustica, a pizza de garnavala. They make it before Ash Wednesday. It's a garnaval food. And it's sausage and rigot because, you know, Italy is the place that you make what grows around you. Sorrento was basically the Wisconsin of the two Sicilies for the city of Naples. <laughs> we had all dairy cows. People think now of Sorrento as lemon. But at that time, Sorrento was known for walnuts and Sorrento was known for cow milk. So Sorrento, for their pizza rustica that they would make before Ash Wednesday, they used cow milk rigot because that's what they had. And they would use sausage the same way that they would use cow's milk we got for their bastida. The Cilento used basket cheese because that's what they had for their pizza, Turustica pizza again. And their sweet pie was not the pizza, the bastida with grain, though it's, it's overtaken the traditional pie, which is a pizza rarizo, which was a rice pie. And mm-hmm. they did not use rigot in the Cilento. What they would do is they would boil rice in goat's milk and then they would mix it with sugar and eggs and kind of make a custard out of it and bake that in the oven. Again, you use that what's more convenient. Now, the Bastida has kind of tramped over the rice pie in the Cilento. And a lot of people now in the Cilento, when they do make the rice pie, they make it with rigot, 
which was like a product totally from outside the area. But, you know, foods evolve. So I think that I would say there's an Italian-American pizza game. I think the Italian-American pizza game has like boiled ham in it, pepperoni, a lot of stuff that would horrify Italians, but it's delicious. So, you know, did, you, did, did, you have. You know, my, my family, I inherited my recipes from my dad's mom, who was from the Val di Diano. So she makes a sausage pie, and it's ricotta and, you know, dried, uh, drained, and whipped up to be much less sort of clumpy and and sausages and then you know whatever spices and things we put in i make my own that's a little bit more to the other way from the italian recipe i've had a bunch of people who make them in layers they layer like cold cuts is anybody making that in their family i know i you know, know i don't know people who started who that you know who start why people are doing that now freaking jada started telling people to do that and i'm sorry i don't believe it <laughs> i don't believe in it she gave people a recipe for the easy way out, pizza rustica, which is a puff pastry crust, and then you can just, you don't even have to chop anything. You just layer it. But I know people who, that's their old family recipes. I do. I know a bunch yeah, of people I who make know. them that I, way. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's that, that I draw the line. I'm very forgiving. I'm very forgiving. <laughs> a lot of stuff. But that, I, Not can't my favorite. I can't get behind it, you know? It always reminds me of Chicago deep dish pizza, which is not my thing. Okay, if that's your analogy, how can this be? <laughs> well, if anybody out there's family has an old family recipe from Italy that they're making in this kind of layered stack pizza rustica, I'd love to see it and love to share it because it's interesting to find the history of these things. I mean, like my family, uh, up until my grandmother passed away, and I try to do it if I can. We make a spaghetti pie too. That's another one of our big Easter traditions. Oh well, that's, that's ours too. Yeah, yeah. That's a big Neapolitan thing, but that is actually for Pasquetta. No, no, that's not true. Oh, oh you don't think that, no? No, no. no there was the Paese right. Vesuviana. The town. See, I've done a lot of research on Bastiera. The word is old, you know, because we have to go back to the 16th, 17th century to kind of get a, a barometer of where it was. But we do know that the towns around the Baeza Vesuviana, which would be like um, toward Del Greco, that area, their tradition is spaghetti, sugar, and eggs. And they kind of beat it up into a custard, and then they bake it, and that's what they eat on Easter Sunday. The frittata de macaruna that you're talking about, um, well, there's, there's some people in, um, I guess the area more towards Scafati, they make what they call bastiera, but it's a savory it's a spaghetti pie with black pepper. It's like a pizza game, and instead of putting the, the, the salamis in, you put in spaghetti. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah so we don't make, have, we don't have a crust, here. though, or anything like that. Do you have a crust? No, no yeah. crust. It's just, it's just spaghetti, butter, eggs, cheese, pepper. See, that, and that's yeah. very yeah. interesting. That, and does it have to be right. fried, Pat, or can it be baked in the oven? No, it's baked. I, and, yeah, and ours I, and is I baked, too. The Dolores is from, like, ground zero of my <laughs> Because it goes from like that Boyano. See, Boyano's a funny town because it's it has a, a, a foot and two two one foot in Naples and one foot in Avellino. Like you could go kind of either way because Avellino's right next to you, right? So Are you talking about Boyano or Bayano? This is just. Ba I'm sorry, Bayano. Yes. Bayano. So yeah. Yes, it's near so, Avellino. Yep, right next right. door. So there was always a big discussion on is Bayano. Is Bayano Provincia di Napoli or Provincia di Avellino? It's actually Provincia di Avellino. Right. Bayano's Provincia di Avellino. There was a big controversy that the people of Bayano are linguistically and culturally Neapolitan, and they should have been in the Provincia di Oh, Navarino. really? That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You're the last town that speaks Neapolitan that's not an Avellinese dialect of Neapolitan. So when they were creating the provinces, 
they the argument was why did you stick Bayano and Avellino? Bayano should be in Naples. Oh but, wow! But your and food. Why do you think they did that? Because there was a, a guy in the north of Italy with a pencil who was just like connecting the dots. <laughs> he was dividing. Oh, this little stick is here. But not, not a lot of thought gone into it. Bastia is a crossover food. The, your version of Bastia, which would be a spaghetti pie, that is something that goes from your part of Naples into Avellino. And you are ground zero. So I would take your recipe as the ground zero correct recipe for that area. Hey, that's great yep. to know. I didn't know that. Yeah, Pat, you make me wonder now because I got the spaghetti pie recipe from my grandmother from Salerno, I follow Didiano. They also make a spaghetti pie. I found out as I did my genealogy that my grandfather's parents, even though my grandfather was born in the Val di Diano and came from Italy from there, his dad was from Basilicata. His mom was from Caserta, actually. So I, who knows where these recipes came? Like, you know, I'd have to find out how we got these and who we got them from. It's fascinating to sort of track down these regional histories behind all these and how they got mixed up in Italian America. And I hope today being Pasquetta, you know, Big celebration day normally in Italy. Everybody taking off and spending time with family, picnics, and all of these foods again. Uh, Pat, like you mentioned, you know we've been doing for the past couple of years a sagra di pastiera for people to come and celebrate Pasquetta together, which is you know not particularly an Italian American holiday, Easter Monday. Because I guess non-Episcopalian, like Presbyterianism and Baptist, they didn't celebrate Easter. It was considered like the papist Catholic holiday. So America does not have the tradition of Easter Monday being a holiday the way it is in Canada or Australia. You have to remember that the reason why Easter Monday is a holiday, there's two re- the, well, there's a reason why it's a holiday and a reason why it's celebrated the way it is. The two great Christian feasts of Pentecost and Easter, Easter Monday and Easter Tuesday were holy days of obligation in the old days. And they were also days off of work, I would say before 1910, before maybe about the 1880s. And so was Pentecost Monday and Pentecost Tuesday. Now, Pentecost weekend in Europe was pilgrimage weekend. So when you left your little village and you walked maybe 50 or 60 miles to a pilgrimage site, that was what you did on Pentecost weekend. Easter weekend was when you broke the fast. It was springtime. So since you had Easter Monday and Easter Tuesday off, you'd go to mass in the morning. And then you would take the Easter leftovers and you would have a picnic out in the countryside. But part of that also was is that the gospel for Easter Monday was when Christ broke bread with the disciples at Emmaus. So part of having the outdoor celebration was also kind of a, um, the way that Jews celebrate Passover to recreate the first Passover, Easter Monday was also almost like a representation or recreation of, of Emmaus. So what you just described is exactly how my mother describes spending Pasquetta when she was a young girl in Bayano. And they used to go to a Fontana Vecchia in the mountains. And she said they had a little uh, girodishk, like so a little record player and they would play. Yeah. yeah, it's a great story. They would play records and dance and like all the you know, boys and girls of the town and, you know, in a kind of very hard life that didn't always have too many moments of joy. Like she, she fondly remembers her Pushwendas. Now, the reason why the dancing was important was dancing and music had been banned all through Lent. So Holy Saturday, you break the fast, you collapse, you're exhausted, you eat the beats again, you get your energy back. Easter Sunday, you go to church, you have a a breakfast, which is the first real breakfast you've had in 40 days. 
you have the big Easter lunch, you rest, and then Easter Monday you go out and you sing and you dance and you play music for the first time since Lent started, since Carnival. Well, I'll tell you what, Dolores, that's an amazingly perfect way for us to close this very family-oriented episode, having all of our family here from the podcast together, being that it's Easter Monday and that, you know, talk about the rare joy of a special day in a hard scrabble life. And, you know, people, we know everybody's out there wishing they could be with their families, wishing they could be doing these things like normal. And as Pat points out, maybe this is a great excuse to double down and look forward to next year and await that joy like Lent awaits the joy of Christ's resurrection and like we await the joy of that dancing on Easter Monday because uh, it's absolutely a wonderful season. I think it's safe to say all of us hold those traditions dear and they mean a great deal to our identity and our life and our family. And hopefully for those of you out there listening who may not have inherited these traditions, you can turn to us and other resources to add them into your Italian-American life because even in the difficult times that we've been going through recently, it's always wonderful to look to Easter Sunday and the traditions that have defined us as a great light at the end of darkness. So from all of us at the Italian-American Podcast, we hope you've had a wonderful Holy Week, a wonderful Easter, and take today to enjoy a beautiful and blessed Easter Monday and Buona Pasqua and Buona Pasquetta to everybody out there. Buona Pasqua, everyone. Buona Pasqua. Buona Pasqua. John, you want to close? I have a an Easter song. Yeah, send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Love it a bash. Yeah, yeah, send it to me. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'll, I'll find it out. I'll send it to all you guys. It's my favorite Neapolitan Easter. You got a Neapolitan Easter for everything.